Hey guys, and welcome back to another edition of the Leadership Download. We're continuing our conversation here with Dr. Sam Chan uh, on his on his latest book, Change Has Changed. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump right in. Cameron, take it away. Yeah, so thank you, Sam. Uh, thank you for being a part of this podcast. And uh, I know the folks have enjoyed part one. And so moving into your latest book, Change Has Changed, um, there was a quote in the book that that really stood out when we're kind of diving into this book, talking about process for change. Um, you know, it, someone told you, Sam, right now I'm trying to change the fan belt on my car while I'm driving, <laughs> showing the highway at full speed. Um, you know, I, I know for Travis and I uh, that work in the avi aviation industry, the aviation world is just going through so much change with both the airlines and private jet environments. And um, if you're working at the operations, uh, we've seen it in the media, what's going on with the airlines, with delays. Um, you know, what is your recommendation to leaders that are just going through so much rapid change, stress and involved in making uh, quick decisions? Because in our industry, um, I know from Travis and mine experience in the operations, every day is different. You don't know what to expect. and operating in this fashion is, is not sustainable for, for leaders. Well, let me oversimplify it. So first of all, thank you, Travis and Cameron for having me on here. Uh, I, I'm just, just amazed why people call me, but in any case, I'm, I'm just glad, glad to be of service to you. So in the, in the marketplace, we used to talk about scaling, scalability, we talked about sustainability, we used to talk about functionality, you know, those kind of things, replicability, how can you replicate it? How can you function in it? And I think sustainability was a big, big, big thing. And I'm here to say, from my observation and conversation with literally hundreds of leaders one-on-one, -on -one, nothing that you're gonna do is sustainable. Mm -hmm. So let if I can free somebody up here right now who's looking for a sustainable model that will carry you for 12 months, 18 months, even two years, at this point, nothing you are going to do is sustainable. Let me unpack that for you. Sustainability in any environment, profit, not profit, non-profit, doesn't matter where you're at, sustainability implies that we control some of the mechanisms that keep things moving in our preferred direction. So that's the assumption there. And we have lived long enough through this stuff here to know we don't control anything. Mm -hmm. So for example, whatever travel rules are applicable today could shift next week. Uh, the open no. skies could become limited skies overnight. Yeah. It, I mean, you don't control it. I don't control it. There are powers that be that control it. And even the powers that are making decisions are conflicted among themselves. Hence all the, all the talk on all sides of the issue. So sustainability, while you may want to have sustainability, you cannot have sustainability simply because you are no longer in the driver's seat. You are in a totally responsive 
posture. Give, 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 you, give you a homegrown example. Have you ever been riding in the car with somebody? So you're in the passenger side and they are driving the car and, and, and you, you're on the highway and the driver is coming up on a car in front of them and, and you think they're going to crash and, and your, your foot starts putting the brake on your side <laughs> of the car and, and, and you know your side brakes your foot is responding to what your eyes are seeing, but there's nothing to press against. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And your side, the brakes on your side do not work. And that's exactly what's going on right now. Uh, the accelerator is not working on your side. The brakes are not working on your side. The gear shifts are not working on your side. Somebody else, somebody else's, that's not a word, but other people are in the driver's seat and we are totally in responsive posture to them. So sustainability has gone out. So because that is what we had yearned for, we have another muscle in our head that we have rarely used. And that is what I call short-term decision-making. Now, every CEO, every executive director, every manager, every leader listening to me right now is already pushing back on that notion of short-term decision making. Mm -hmm. But if you could get really good at short-term decision making, and if you could enculturate your environment that you work in to say, this is a short-term decision, we may renew this decision, we may re-up this decision, we may re-engage this decision, but we will look at that in two months, and then two months, and then two months, and we will keep making the adjustments as is needed, rather than saying, Here's our 2022, 2023 plan. That is dreamland. That's la la land. Yeah. If you can, so we all have that muscle, but we rarely use it, especially as you go higher in management, higher in leadership. Everybody wants to make those sustainable decisions. And I'm saying to you, if you can have short term sustainable decisions, if you can make two month decisions right now and get good at that. So if you can forecast two months, I know you are more in control of that than forecasting eight months, for example. Mm. You can read the leaves a little better for two months than you can for eight months. So you can cast vision, you can create mission, you can create processes, and you can create systems for two months. But you let your people know that this is what we're going to do. For a while, we're going to roll two months at a time. It could be three months, could be one month, could be six months. That's not the point. But if you could create a culture in which people are, are uh, comfortable with the thought of, we're going to take two months at a time, I think you'll be good. So that is what I mean by, by, by saying that sustainability is not our objective right now. But short-term decision-making built with built-in nimbleness, I think we need more Volkswagens than tractor trailers. <laughs> if, if that makes sense. You can change lanes. Mm -hmm. You can shift down. You can stop and accelerate faster. Uh, one day you might be a tractor trailer again, but right now Volkswagen type things. Uh, nimbleness, short-term decision-making, two months, three months of sustainability, but that's a muscle that you have to create 
not just for yourself, but for your organization as well. And very few leaders that I'm talking to have the courage to do that because they have always done it another way, but they have to realize change has changed. Wow. I see a, uh, an avail article coming from that soon from you. <laughs> I'm glad you're getting avail. <laughs> Excellent. So just to keep going, you know, in your book, you quote, elevate the innovators is a good leadership slogan moving into the future. What do you mean by elevate the innovators and why is it significant in what we're, in what we're doing now in organizations? So every leader I have spoken to, I ask them the same question. I ask them two same questions. Uh, so I've been asking this question since probably May, June of 2020. And I'm still asking the same question of every CEO, every leader I'm talking to, same two questions. Question number one is, who was on your leadership team that has become obsolete? Mm. Question number two, who was not on your list, was not on your radar, was not in your meetings, was not in your decision-making, who has risen during this time. And the people who have risen during this time, in my mind, are innovators. So my definition of innovators are fearless, solution-oriented people who are willing to say, hey, listen, let's try this. What's the worst that can happen? We'll fail. Okay, let's plan and prepare for failure to pick up the pieces from there and, and go on. So all that to say, innovators are people who were not on your list, not on your radar. They started percolating up. You start noting them the, in the hallways. These are people who sent you unsolicited emails saying, you know what we're really good for you to consider is. And you didn't trash them because they didn't have a title behind their name. Because, because I think great thinking has emerged during this time. If high-level leaders, executive leaders, CEOs, executive directors have the bandwidth to value people not based on their title, their education, their experience, their place on the totem pole and the hierarchy of the structure, but realize some of the best things will come from ladder holders in your life. Mm. Because ladder holders can see a spot up there that you as a ladder climber cannot see. And I'm looking for somebody to make the oblivious obvious. And so titles have gone by the wayside, education gone by the wayside, certification gone by the wayside. It's whoever can help me yeah. uh, fix this thing here. Uh, you know, if, if you're on a flight and somebody's having a heart attack, this force to say, is there a doctor on the flight? Well, there is no doctor. Is there a nurse on the flight? No nurse on the flight. And this person says, you know, I'm not a doctor or a nurse, but I'm a receptionist in the doctor's office. <laughs> we'll take you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? And yeah. I think you have, once you get desperate enough, you can receive help from anybody. It does not matter. And that's what, that's what I mean by innovators. People who have showed up risen on your list that were not on your list and valuing them. We got that's I think that's the biggest shift that's happened is uh, who you value for what. Wow. I don't think a worker would be resigning if they felt valued. Mm -hmm. Value wow. is the new currency. Value is the new currency. Yeah, that's so good. Um, yeah, 
in your book, you, you also talk about um, using a pencil. Uh, you know, for myself, yeah, I don't like using pencils. I, I'm a pen <laughs> person. Um, but your your concept that you define on using uh, a pencil is so difficult for, for leaders to do because we're so used to certainty. Um, you know, but the last two years, there's been a lot of uncertainty. And I'm one that's very uncomfortable when there's great uncertainty. And uh, I know a lot of leaders are facing this is, is they want to keep things the way they are because they don't know what the future holds. They don't know there could be another variant or economic downturn or what, whatever that might be. And how do leaders gain the confidence to use that pencil instead of using a pen? Well, first of all, you realize the pen is not working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you have a pen and you run out of uh, whatever ink is in it, you put it aside. Yeah. And then you take whatever instrument is available to you to write. So first of all, you have to come to a conclusion saying what we're doing is not working. And uh, everyone's heard the same thing about insanity, keep the, doing the same things and you're going to keep getting the same results. Mm -hmm. Pencil basically says, short. just what I said in the previous question, short-term thinking, uh, short-term planning, short-term decision-making, and... Cameron, Travis, and everybody listening to me, I want to say to you anecdotically, I've been doing what I do for 35 years. I've traveled pretty much all, all over the world, talked to some crazy good leaders, and I have concluded the highest level of leadership is leading in ambiguity. Mm. Highest level of leadership is leading in ambiguity. Anyone can lead when the skies are clear. Mm. Anyone can fly a plane. Let me stay with your ecosystem here. Anyone can fly a plane. Not anyone can fly a plane. But you, it's easier to fly a plane when the skies are blue. You got tailwinds. Mm -hmm. There's no storm on the horizon. You're not dodging any storms. But I've flown a few thousand flights now in my life. And I can tell you... It is the pilot who can fly totally instrumentally, <laughs> going through the clouds, not knowing where they're going, but you put the trust in them. So leading an ambiguity in the unknown and the uncertain is the highest form of leadership. And that is why you're finding out that great leaders are not as great as they used to be. Because it used to be you could get data from the marketplace <laughs> and make data-driven decisions. Mm -hmm. But even your data in the marketplace is not reliable anymore because the same people can give you a different answer the next day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because they are evolving, they are changing, they are shifting in their own lives. Uh, so I think a CEO, an executive director, a leader of any, any uh, area needs to get used to simply admitting, I don't know. Stop pretending, <laughs> become transparent and say, I don't know. I really don't know. And because we don't know, when you say, I don't know, it humanizes you. It empathizes the person. You're closer to the other person because the other person's saying, I don't know either. And now both of you saying, I don't know. 
and searching for certainty in a time of uncertainty is like sitting on an apple tree wishing for oranges. You're going to get mm -hmm. apples right now. You're going to get apples for a long time. I, I, I'm not a futurist, but I can tell you that uncertainty is going to be our friend for a long time. And you might as well become cousins with them, understand the science and the art of uncertainty, uh, get yourself into that zone, uh, stop searching for uh, leading with total knowledge and database. And that is why you got to listen to people, just listen to people and, and ask people, uh, what do you think the future is for our industry? Uh, let me look, uh, use another low level example. If you were, if you were improving a shovel that digs holes, if you're improving a shovel, where would you get the best advice? From the PhD on the 18th floor in the R&D research and development department and engineer, or just stop by, pull over to the side of the road, <laughs> talk to this <laughs> dude who's been, who digs ditches for a living with a shovel and say, hey man, here's a hundred dollar bill I need to talk to you. Tell me if you could improve a shovel, how would you do that? Mm. That hundred dollars will get you better returns than the engineer in the R&D department who's got software models. And you know what we do? And, and I'm not against any engineer, any PhD, any, so, so keep your jobs, keep doing what you're doing. Those software models have helped you. But I'm, I'm the opinion, at, at this point, we just need to pull over and talk to our people and say, hey man, if we could improve the shovel, if we could improve your environment, if we could improve your work uh, life balance, if we could cre uh, improve your quality of life, uh, what would that be? Instead of reading somebody else's database and making decisions based on them, I just wanna walk down the hall. I wanna get my people on Zoom and simply say, no more than eight or nine people and simply say, I want to listen to you. Tell me. I mean, you're, you're part of us. Your family, tell us. And I think if and I'm repeating myself, I know that. I think this is the time to listen more and talk less. Yeah. And value your people. The ditch digger, <laughs> who is the lowest paid person in your organization has amazing information for you mm -hmm. that you need to mine and utilize it in your company. Yeah, that's so good. So good. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. It's just, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. I appreciate yeah. that so much. I do have a bonus question that I think, uh, I, I, I was thinking about this last night and, you know, we've, we've been talking about change and we've been talking about all the, the challenges and the shifting that's happened. And, you know, me and Cameron, and I know you as well, uh, Sam, was uh, people of faith. Uh, and this challenge has not been a, uh, not been, we're not, the church has not been immune from this. And I know I have, I have quite a few people in Cameron do as well, uh, who are pastors and church leaders. And uh, change has, has affected the church as well, um, especially from an emotional standpoint. Um, so from a church church position, or even maybe even a business position, how how should we be approaching people from the 
the emotional aspects of allowing people to deal with change in, you know, with mask in church, no mask in church, vaccinated, no vaccinated. How does a leader approach this um, without becoming, you know, lopsided or one-sided in, 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 in their approach to things uh, to in today's times with change being so rapid? So first of all, uh, you use the word emotional, and I'm here to say to you that pretty much every decision being made right now is emotional. So people used to say things like, don't go by emotions, they're fickle, don't go by your feelings, they keep changing. And, I, and I've studied emotional decision-making long enough to tell you every major decision that you have ever made in your life or you will make in your life is a feeling decision. I mean, who you marry is a feeling decision. The house that you buy is a feeling decision. The car that you drive is a feeling decision. The clothes that you wear, the clothes that you buy are feeling decisions. Every, every major decision you're going to ever make in your life or ever have made in life are feeling decisions. So our, our world is not... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Academic in its decision-making. It is very emotional in its decision-making. And emotions are very rife. So when leaders try to explain things in a rational way, in a logical way, in a sequential way to people, they are totally tone deaf. It's like you broadcasting on AM while everyone is, is tuned into FM. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your frequencies are, are totally off. So it's in the church world, for example, if you are pro, con, vaccines, masks, whatever it might be, and you, you, people are not listening to you rationally. They are, they are listening to you emotionally. So I think where we are in the journey now, we are kind of past that a little bit in churches. I think the message that needs to go out again and again is, if you're comfortable, just come. If you want to keep a mask on, keep a mask on. If you don't feel like mask, don't wear a, wear a mask. We welcome you. Mm-hmm. And not because as soon as you take sides, uh, it creates another emotional cycle altogether. Like he does not get it. She does not get it. They're against us. Because now it's not like the, the times we're living in, Cameron and Travis, is there was a time in which I could disagree with you and you say, oh, Sam disagrees with me. But now if I disagree with you, I'm against you. Yeah. If you if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. And, and that that there's no bridge between the two. They are like this. If I disagree with you, you're against me. It used to be I could say, hey, guys, uh, I just disagree with you, but I'm still for you. But that's not what... That is not what is being heard. So I think churches have to have a, you all come when you're comfortable. If you want to keep watching us online, keep watching us online. But if you want to come, come as you are Mm -hmm. and sit where you want to sit. Be comfortable in your own environment. And we love you for whatever decision you're making for your life. We accept you for whatever decision you're making in your life. I think those are the kind of messages that need to be said implicitly and then lived out in, in the lives of in the lives of people. Because as soon as you start asking me questions like "Are you vexed?" Uh, or you know those kind of things, those are. Uh, if you ask me that question, I know why you're asking the question. <laughs> okay, here's another way to say that. 
people are not afraid of the disease. People are afraid of people. Wow. <laughs> Once you get that in your head. Yeah. <laughs> what is social distancing all about? What is masking all about? People are afraid of people. Now, I understand what's about too, man. Medically and scientifically, I, I I understand what is being said about that as well. But what I'm saying is, people are not afraid of the disease. People are afraid of people. And so we have to create those comfort chambers for people to come, and be and and be who they are. The other thing, one last thing I can say, because you know, I work so much with senior pastors, uh, and, and I can tell you that one of the great onslaughts that's going to fall in the lap of the church itself is grief, grief. So over 5 million people have died globally. Hundreds of thousands have died in the United States of America. In most cases, in many cases, they could not have funerals, viewings, Families and friends could not pay their last respects. The rites of passage, as we call them, have been circumvented. It is what I call unrequited, unresolved grief. Mm. And unresolved grief shows up in all kinds of dysfunctions in people's lives. And the church is the only organism on the planet that can speak with certitude into loss and grief. Wow. So, so this is what I know. If you have a hundred people sitting in your church or you got 10,000 people in your church, everybody knows somebody who died. Yeah. And if I was preaching right now, I would want to walk people through grief loss, death, dying. Uh, I know you have counselors and I know people can go for counseling, but when you start speaking from God's word in a public forum and acknowledge that everybody in this room has had loss, somebody has died. Somebody died that you wanted, you would have gone to the funeral, but you could not go to the funeral. You would have gone to the viewing, but you did not go to the viewing. You would have embraced and hugged that widow or widower, but you did not. The child, that parent. And I think uh, the church is the only hospital that can deal with that aspect that will come back to the church. And there are others too, but I'll leave that at that. Wow. Well, um, thank you so much, uh, Sam. I really appreciate uh, your time and uh, being a part of this podcast and, and sharing your passion for, for, for leadership. Um, so as we wrap it up here, if you want to tell us a little, bit, a little bit about your new book and also maybe a little bit about your leadership institute that you have. Yeah. Uh, so my book, uh, Change Has Changed, is available in uh, English and Spanish, wherever books are sold. Uh, probably most of you are going to go online and get it that way. Change has changed and the uh, Spanish version of the same book. I do want to encourage uh, your viewers and listeners 
to log into uh, samchand.com slash COVID, C-O-B-I-D. S-A-M-C-H-A-N-D, D as in David, dot com slash COVID. So what is that? That will lead you to my leadership institute. So Cameron, Travis, when uh, uh, we went into lockdown in March of uh, 2020, uh, we as an organization felt that people are going to be home. Uh, people will have limited financial resources. So what we used to retail for $2,000 a year, we have now created a special uh, product simply called whatever you want to pay. So if you go to samchan.com slash COVID, it's whatever you want to pay. You want to pay $2,000, you want to pay $1. Whatever you want to pay. What will you get for that? You'll get 12 of my books. One book a month is a 12-month program. You'll get one book a month. You're going to get three videos that teach that book a month. And at the end of your completion, you're going to get a certificate from the Sam Chan Leadership Institute. It's all digital. You can get the books uh, hard uh, cover as well. Uh, and it's all on there. So when you go to samchan.com slash COVID, it's going to ask you basically two questions, your name and email. So we can start sending it to you. And how much do you want to pay? And how do you want to pay that? And that's it. So whatever number you put in there, dollar-wise, you're gonna not no pushback, no negotiating, no email back. It just starts happening. So earlier on, Travis was telling me he's in month three of this uh, of the program. Uh, was it as easy as I'm making it sound over Ab here? Ab absolutely, it was. It was as easy as just logging in and putting in your amount, and and you're off to the races. Yeah, we want to make it so it's not two clicks. It's just one click. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's whatever you want to pay. I mean, I mean, think of it this way. Think of it this way. If you went to a restaurant to, to, to eat and you looked at the menu and you saw all the items there, but no prices, no prices. And, and you called your server and said, so, hey, listen, uh, what are the prices for all these things? And said, no, no, no worries. No worries. Just eat what you want to as much as you want to and pay whatever you want to. So, wow, that's crazy. Well, that's crazy. We're doing crazy stuff here in which... Whatever you want to pay, no questions asked, samchand.com slash COVID, and you're on. If, if you want to do this in Spanish, we got the whole thing in Spanish as well, because I'm sure there are some of your listeners who uh, may speak Spanish, may prefer Spanish, have Spanish friends. You're going, you can go to samchand.com slash COVID-19. That put the words, the, the uh, numeral 19 after COVID and you're on. So Sam Chan for English, samchand.com slash COVID. For Spanish, samchand.com slash COVID-19. And pay whatever you want to. Well, excellent. Well, Sam, thank you so much again for joining us and taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, we thank you so much again for uh, taking some time for us. Well, let's do this again. I really enjoy talking to you all. You're all sharp people and may. May you, what you do increase, and I know what you're doing, helping a lot of people. So my courage, encouragement to you is keep doing it. Well, thank you, Sam. Thank you.